to the Headstock Podcast. Um, my name is Alex Dick. I'm a writer of sorts. Um, I guess welcome back, or for new listeners, welcome altogether. <laughs> so uh, I'm today. I'm in my hotel room in Brisbane. Um, I say I'm a writer. Uh, my a lot of my other work is actually in stage management, um, in theatre. So I sort of manage backstage and stuff like that. And I'm up here doing a kids show. Um, unfortunately, the the real stage manager was in a car accident a couple of weeks ago. I think they're mostly okay now. Um, but I was flown up to Brisbane in a hurry um, to fill in for her. And so last week was a bit stressful, but <laughs> here I am on my day off, and I thought I'd quickly report record a podcast for you. So, um, it's great being in Brisbane. I actually haven't spent much time here. I was here for about a week when I was 18. Yeah, it's cool. Um, so, yeah, just for those of you who have no idea what's going on, um, I'm just going to be reading out a few of my short stories in this podcast. Um, that's the early episodes. I'm sure later, I'll get in, once I run out of short stories to read, I'll, uh, I'm going to work on a few other ideas and um, bring you some hopefully funnier content. (laughs) Um, But for now, I'm just going to read you one of my stories. So this one, it's called Smelly's Double Crotchet. Um, I got the idea for this one while I was in London. Um, There's this museum right near London Bridge Station, which is like a, it used to be a hospital, and now it's been turned into a museum. And it's it's got a lot of sort of old medical equipment on show and a lot of it's quite gruesome. And what I was interested in was sort of the relationship between the person who designed the equipment because it, it's all, uh, yeah, it's gruesome and it's got a very sort of um, funny, ye olde aesthetic to it as well. Um, so my interest was in the relationship between the person who designed that equipment and the patients and sort of um, there must be some sort of disconnection between um, the patient as a real person and the equipment um, just going into, a, you know, a vessel as, you know, an ordinary part of someone's day. Yeah, I hope that makes sense. <laughs> I just think, you know, in medicine, I guess people must have this disconnect between um, a human and sort of a patient. Um, otherwise, it would be really hard to cut someone open. So yeah, it's it's a bit about exploring that. Um, so it's called Smelly's Double Crotchet, and the subtitle is A Historically Inaccurate Look at 19th Century Medicine. So I've taken a lot of liberties, um, but yeah, I hope you enjoy it. Smelly's Double Crotchet. A Historically Inaccurate Look at 19th Century Medicine. Saturday the 28th of March, 1858. As a medical professional, even I have my moments of sorrow upon the passing of a patient. Today, at approximately midday, we lost a young lady, no more than 19, who had miscarried and the inanimate entity had begun to go septic. We found out far too late an infection began to run through her bloodstream. We applied a course of leeches, letting what I estimate to be near on 30 ounces of blood. In such an extreme case, one would often expect results with this amount of blood taken. But it seems time was not on our side, and a last-minute attempt to remove the entity through decapitation and a forced dilation of the cervix proved itself fatal to all involved. All except me, that is. And the nurse. She was fine too, although rather more shaken than I. 
At the last hour of her shift, she hung up her apron and expressed her intention to never return. Losing a patient in such tragic circumstances and a member of staff on the same day is a serious blow to my institution, not to mention my ego. So this is how I have found myself in this burrow on the north side of the river. I have a favourite hovel and alehouse down Lamb's Conduit. Although it is a far walk from my house, I do find the late Amble home calming to the soul. As I scribble into this diary, I can't help but think the equipment is to blame. It still feels primitive, and I feel like a dog who can only express himself by barking, not having the dexterity of tongue to form vowels and consonants. I need the proper tools to be able to express my profession, but the equipment just doesn't exist. Monday the 5th of April, 1858. Nothing of note for today's diary entry other than a personal reminder to pay the ghastly visit to the landlord I dread each month. He's a loathsome man with nothing but poison curses flooding from his mouth, the likes of which would make my mother roll in her grave, an unfortunate move for her as she is now buried next to my father, and the two never saw eye to eye in the mortal world. The rent again has made an unexpected leap, but I have something in the pipeline, something that will, if all goes well, not only be of great benefit to my profession, to the health and well-being of mankind, but also to make me profoundly and exasperatingly rich. Monday the 12th of April, 1858. A strange call from the vicar today. A couple had become united in matrimony and, upon attempting to consummate, the husband discovered that his dearly beloved was in fact one of those hermaphrodites. Uh, the vicar was concerned about the husband's damnation as... Lying with another man is out of the question, according to the current doctrine. However, the Holy Rule Book spoke nothing of medical anomalies such as this, and he was at a loss. He had tried to contact Her Royal Highness Queen Victoria for counsel on this matter, but those in the lower offices had dismissed him and told him to seek other advice, perhaps a prayer to the Almighty. Much to my delight, when the Church failed to provide answers, he turned to science and the medical profession. My answer was simple, and was solved in less than eight minutes with three swift strokes of the amputation saw and a couple of stitches. I suggested not to consummate for at least two weeks, but I suspect that this is one bit of advice that will be overlooked. They both seemed rather enamoured of each other. I finally got to applying to the council for another nurse today, and I expect to be graced within the week. Thursday, the 29th of April, 1858. The nurse arrived three days ago, and, heavens above, I haven't had a second to write in my diary. She is rather inept, a little batty after returning from the war, I think. She spends hours at the cauldron, boiling water and dipping all the equipment in it. Meanwhile, patients line up and complain, two who have even passed while waiting in the queue. If there's one thing I can't abide, it's keeping people waiting. The British public aren't used to queuing. It's not in their constitution. Since she arrived, I've found myself working overtime trying to complete the duties for both of us, while she stands at the chimney scrubbing away at every last bit of silverware. I even caught her scraping away the, at the needles today. She is far too picky, and I can't imagine she'll last. I shall contact the council immediately. Well, as soon as I get a second to put pen to paper. Saturday, the 1st of May, 1858. I made a visit to Fleet Street today to pick up some supplies. The Bare Fist Fighting Troop is parked down the road, and this is usually one of the busier days in the medical calendar. 
not mentioning any names, but I believe some of my surgical razor blades have been repurposed towards the refuse chute. In fact, I'm certain, as Mash, the local tram, asked me to remove one blade from his tibia region today, which of course I did for him free of charge. Not too much trouble from the bare fisters though, most of them kept their upper lips stiff as a headboard and lived through their injuries. Only three gentlemen arrived with black eyes, which were treated briskly with minor incisions. Again, the nurse insisted we change clothes between patients, a time-consuming business. I bought double the razor blades too to indulge her need to boil everything between customers. Made another trip to my favourite little establishment on Lamb's Conduit. Got in a mild argument with a man over the size of his hat. The top hat should promote augmentation of the head while maintaining balance in the composition of the face. Therefore, the height of the top hat should directly correlate to the length of the face from chin to mid-forehead. Any higher than that and the hat becomes comical. The man rather took offence to that and smeared an imported pâté onto my shoe while I was settling my bar account. I dearly hope he doesn't consider himself a local and frequent the bar. Monday the 3rd of May 1858 Another visit from the young married couple. There was concern over some discoloration around the treated area. Upon examination, I knew that some bloodletting would sort out the difficulties. However, I'm keen to try out my latest invention. If I could divert them for just one week, I know I would have the means to try it out and probably do a better job than if I treated with the current equipment, which to me is barely worth its Cro-Magnon origins. Thursday the 6th of May, 1858 a disappointing visit from my engineer today. I was sincerely hoping to be able to reveal my invention to the world. I don't feel like writing, although I just thought it worth noting that aside from the queue of patients my new nurse is accumulating with her slow work methods, there is another secondary one beginning to accrue. It seems she was quite popular in the wartime and became friendly with many of the returned soldiers. Families are beginning to gather to convey their gratitude and clogging up the footway outside. We nearly got a visitor mixed up with a patient and I was inches away from applying a leech before we discovered the folly. A note to the council asking for the removal of my new nurse has now been penned and awaits delivery. Tuesday the 11th of May, 1858. Another run-in with my pâté patron today. In preparation for such an event, I had concealed a jelly deal about my person and, without provocation, upon sighting my rival, I managed to slip it into his undergarments, which caused a loud shriek and the upsetting of a table full of ales. Thursday the 13th of May, 1858. The expectant young couple are now expecting to be expecting soon. The consummation had obviously gone... The consummation The consummation is obviously going well, although the discoloration around the groin region is spreading. Again, I feel that a short wait to try out my invention is worth it. I sent them away until further notice and I will entrust the hospital to my nurse for the afternoon as I revisit the engineer. I expect immediate results from him, or I shall look elsewhere for the services of a more skilled craftsman. Friday the 14th of May, 1858. Today, I perfected my masterpiece, my magnum opus. Finally, the world will have a cure for many of its more troubling ailments, including acne, asthma, cancer, cholera, coma, convulsions, diabetes, epilepsy, gangrene, gout, herpes, indigestion, insanity, jaundice, leprosy, ophthalmia, a plague, pneumonia, scurvy, smallpox, stroke, tetanus, tuberculosis, and whatever the devil himself may throw at you.
I may even use that on the shop front. Window space allowing. Although, with all the, that many words involved, I can't imagine there would be much space left for the transfenestration of light. Today, I, Marmaduke Smelly, give the world its first mechanical leech. Monday the 17th of May, 1858. Performed a successful amputation before a group of students today. It was a large group. The patient was a man who had fallen in the Thames during a minor scuffle with the Bow Street Runners. A case of mistaken identity, apparently. Not for me to judge, of course. What was of concern for me was the deep graze he sustained on a piece of submerged rusty machinery left by the men who'd worked on the sewerage system. The wound had gone unattended for too long and there was no choice but to remove it. Students gathered in the theatre, eager and excited for the impending surgery. I spoke to one afterwards about our mutual friend, Charles Darwin. This student in question was planning to retrace the steps of the HMS Beagle and was hoping to recruit a ship's doctor. I was ever so flattered, but teetering on the cusp of the mechanical leech, I declined. A real shame. I have always enjoyed the little musings and anecdotes of Mr. Darwin. By coincidence, I had attended to Mr. Darwin earlier in the week. He complained of heart palpitations, and it just so happened I had lent him the use of my country house for a week or two. I gave that student directions and suggested he visit. I knew Mr. Darwin would be ever welcoming of a fan. He's always such a show-off and a glutton for an audience. Anyone to listen to his wild theories and misinformed ramblings. The amputation itself was fairly standard, although one thing did catch my attention. Much to my distaste, as the students are lining the tiers of the operating theatre and as I enter, it is not uncommon for them to applaud me. Fair enough, it does feel like a three-act opera in there some days. However, today a second applause occurred, and it was a little surprise as I turned around and saw it was for the arrival of Nurse Nightingale. She was getting quite a name for herself, a star attraction now apparently. All I saw in her was a growing tension headache as I struggled to restrain patience as she stayed in the corner with her gloves and washing water. Friday the 21st of May, 1858. Finally, I have found a use for the ever-bubbling cauldron in the corner. I think I've perfected the procedure for my new method of bloodletting. A combination of what I am terming cupping and the mechanical leech is proving to be a huge success. The cupping involves warming a glass cup in the water, then fermenting the afflicted area with a small amount of the water. The cup is then placed over the area with a burning wick inside. The wick burns up any remaining air creating suction and tumification of the area. After a minute, the area is ready and enough blood is drawn to it. Then the magic begins, the cup is removed and the mechanical leech is applied. And usually we fill around five cups with blood before cauterizing. The young couple were back in today and I could finally attend to the discolored groin. It took a moment to convince them that the mechanical leech would be the right solution as on the surface it just looks like a small box from which razor blades protrude at the flick of a switch, but it is so much more than that. I must admit though, even with my experienced eyes, seeing the leech on this sensitive part of the body did make me cringe a little on the inside. Monday the 14th of May, 1858. Nurse Nightingale's cure of fans has grown. Although it is proving to be mutually beneficial, I've had the engineer make up kits that I can distribute to the public, including the equipment needed for cupping and their very own mechanical leech. 
I asked a young intern to scale the queue, offering kits to those waiting and sometimes small live demonstrations, which helps thin out the queue a little bit. It's pulling in so much additional income that my landlord has become a little suspicious, so in the end I decided to give him a demonstration. If no particular area is afflicted and the diseases of the blood itself, the cups are usually applied to the soft tissue behind the ears. I took some pleasure in applying this to the beastly man, and he even thanked me for it, and later that week he assured me he felt much better. In fact, it seemed his mood had lifted entirely, and we even shared a dram of whiskey together in the evening. The nurse and I now get on too. I've come to think quite fondly of her. It is, however, difficult to rouse any soft words from her, and I imagine it will stay strictly professional. I do dream of one day knowing the touch of a fair lady, someone with whom I can share my thoughts, feelings, and desires. I am now dubious about wedding, though, for fear that a surprise may await me as she presents her maidenhead. There is no method currently for how to put this. Uh, trying before buying. I suppose it's nothing a couple of swift movements from the surgical saw can't fix, but it would be certainly a real damper on proceedings. Friday the 18th of June, 1858. The pate man crossed my path again today. This time he was one of my patients. I spotted him in the queue and he came into the examination room around half an hour later, complaining of a sore throat. It was clear that we instantly recognised each other. However, neither of us spoke of the incidents at Lamb's Conduit. I mounted the forehead mirror onto my spectacles, and upon examining his throat, I discovered quite a severe case of quinsy, and the first signs of mediastinitis. If untreated, it could close up his airway and kill him, and the quinsy must be making it incredibly painful for him to take in food and drink. I stood by the window and prepared the equipment necessary for lancing the quinsy. This is a tried and tested method. As long as further infection is dampened in time, he will be fine within the week. Through the window, I spotted Nurse Nightingale. She was walking down the queue outside, gracing her fans by answering questions, chatting and batting her eyelids at a group of young soldiers, and being generally flirtatious. I rolled my eyes and turned back to my patient. In that moment, I made the decision once again to use my mechanical leech. I put aside the lancet and began to warm the cups. I knew that this particular infliction was not blood-related, but people want to feel as if they're being treated somehow. The procedure was entirely inappropriate in this case, but then again, so was wiping pate on my best shoes. I did note that as he left, he picked up a new, much shorter hat as he exited the front door. Friday the 25th of June, 1858. Today, I decided not to go into work. The weekend was supposed to consist of a visit to the country house where Mr. Darwin is currently residing. In fact, I think I shan't go. I may just stay in bed. I feel like doing very little indeed, and I only write in my diary for fear that if I practiced complete inactivity I would start to doubt my own existence. Thursday the 1st of July 1858 a visit once again to the young married couple. The lady had definite signs of pregnancy. She was showing quite a lot for someone this many weeks into her pregnancy. The area where the amputation had taken place was now quite discoloured. Very concerning. If a limb had been this colour, I would have called for an immediate amputation. However, this area is rather more difficult to address as one amputation had already occurred. The really worrying part was the brown discharge emanating from the opening. 
I inquired, and she said that she was feeling no signs of morning sickness anymore, and her moods were suddenly re-regulated as if normal, and I was sure at this point that it was a miscarriage. I did a quick internal examination, and the worst was confirmed. It looked to me like septic shock. I took her into the theatre, and the nurse and I began the procedure to remove the entity. I dilated the cervix mechanically, and with a crotchet, I attempted to remove the fetus. I really wanted to avoid decapitation for such a young fetus. The risk of leaving residual tissue was too risky. I wanted to be sure that all the dead matter was removed successfully. The crotchet, basically a hook for snaring the entity, proved less than ideal. It was clumsy, and the time it took to get an accurate hold on the target caused the patient severe discomfort. The whole area was infected, and the crotchet was just another foreign object disrupting the area. The pain was too much, and she passed out. The operation was eventually successful, but the degree of infection was already critical, and I fear she shall not last the month. The couple were thankful nonetheless, particularly to Nurse Nightingale, who stayed by her bed during recovery, offering no end of comfort in her waking hours. Monday the 5th of January, 1858. Today I took the letter of complaint before the council, asking for Miss Nightingale to be relocated. This was a mistake. At least two members of the council had returned from the war, and they say it was all due to her care and aid. I had not heard of this lady, but apparently she was taking over Britain, one giddy-eyed soldier at a time. This only fueled my hatred for her. All I could think of was a way to get her on the operating table, so I could, I don't know, somehow make a fatal error, or even just leave some swabbing in there before sewing her back up, leaving something in there that will cause infection. But with the amount of time she spends cleaning, I can't imagine she'll ever catch anything. Terrible for the immune system. I suppose this works in my favour, as one little influenza could be the end of her. Tuesday the 13th of July, 1858. Another sad day in the medical profession. Today marks the passing of my dear hermaphrodite child patient. She was barely 19, and her husband seems inconsolable. Again, the vicar is having trouble deciding what the correct course of action is. He is concerned about burying the body among proper Christians and wasn't sure of the etiquette involved. I felt like bludgeoning him at the thought of it. This poor girl had little choice in the world but to live as best as she could with her affliction, an affliction that God himself must have bestowed upon her too. I couldn't see why the vicar would even entertain the thought of not giving her a burial on consecrated ground. I thought it was his job to be with the family and ensure their well-being. No wonder the poor husband was a mess with his spiritual leader all in a tiz. It really angered me, and I looked back at the whole situation to see if there was anything I could have done. Again, I feel like the current technology is to blame for all this business. It is so clumsy and difficult to wield, some of it too heavy or large that, given the choice, I would not have it probing in my own body if I were to fall ill. I must set up a meeting with the engineer to see if we can sort something out. Friday, the 16th of July, 1858. A string of unfortunate events has caused me to re-evaluate. Today, I penned another letter, this time to my student friend inquiring whether the position as ship's doctor was still open. I believe it is time for me to break away from my residency here at St. Thomas's. I seem to have had a string of patients taking a turn for the worse, and I fear that it is not my skills that are failing me, but my mood. I can't keep going on like this. I know that if I'm having a cheery day at work, my successes are higher. 
I seem to be in a rut which feels like some ditch that swallows one further the more one struggles to get out. Nurse Nightingale is practically running the place now, anyway. <sighs> I would be surely unmissed if I were to just fade away into the curtains. I shall post the letter to my student friend tomorrow, post-haste. Wednesday, 21st of July, 1858. My engineer came back to me today. He had something in hand which I find most exciting. I almost wish for a miscarriage patient to walk in today so I could have the chance to use it. Today, he presented me with a miracle of modern medicine, the double crotchet. Long and slender for comfort, not unlike tongs but with small hooks at the end, with all the benefits of a single crotchet but with so much more accuracy. This is what would be my legacy. This would be my gift to the world. Smelly's double crotchet. It completely eclipsed the news I had from the council telling me that St. Thomas's was to be closed down and reopened a couple of years for the harlot Nightingale to train her nurses in. I was ready to leave anyway. Saturday, 31st of July, 1858. I walked today through Westminster. I had in my mind a certain bottle of liquor that I have now taken to sharing with my landlord in the evenings. On the way through St. James's, I stopped at a little boutique store, the kind I usually wouldn't bother with. This one caught my eye, and I felt the need to go in. And in there, I purchased the finest top hat man has ever seen, perfect in its balance of composition, framing the face with delicacy and aplomb. It is perfect, and I intend now to wear it every day until I die. Lovely, well, I hope you enjoyed Smelly's Double Crotchet. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I know it's a bit gruesome in parts. Um, yeah, and if you're ever in London near London Bridge, go into the St. Thomas's Hospital and you can see the real Double Crotchet. Um, I might even post it up on my blog. Um, yeah, so it's a real thing, Smelly's Double Crotchet. I'll have to, yeah, I'll put a photo up. Um, now, don't forget, um, sorry, I know this is the boring part, but please... Um, Help me out with my Patreon campaign. It's called Alex Dick Writing. So just go to patreon.com slash Alex Dick Writing and you'll find it there. You can email me and it's contact at headstock.online, if that makes sense. Contact at headstock.online. That's it. That's all you have to type in. No .com or anything like that. Um, I also, you know, I've got a Twitter, as everyone does, headstock.online. Uh, there's an Instagram that I don't really use, but maybe I'll start using um yeah so i mean you can either get involved with all that or maybe you can't be bothered and that's okay too um and i guess i'll be posting another story up within the next couple of weeks so subscribe and you'll get that straight to your phone lovely all right thanks everybody hope you have a good week mm -hmm.